Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, January 21st, we are studying Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. Jesus is feasting, not fasting. Why is that? Well, wouldn't you expect a feast when the bridegroom's here? To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Andrew Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Good to be back. Thanks for having me. As we get started this morning, Pastor Preuss, let's talk context. Where have we been in Mark's Gospel? What do we need to know about this text going in? Yeah, so Mark kind of runs, he kind of goes fast-paced, for the, the first chapter, just kind of rushes through the 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 uh, ministry of John the Baptist, and and uh, then kind of briefly mentions the baptism of Jesus, the temptation of Jesus, and then you know eventually gets into his ministry. And then in chapter two, we have Jesus in Capernaum, you know, and he's uh, kind of where he where we would sort of leave off, and you know, in, in in Matthew chapter, in the middle of Matthew chapter four, or something like that. And but then he's kind of, you know, he's he's going at a faster pace. Uh, and so, so at this point, we see we see the context of uh, of of Jesus really teaching about the forgiveness of sins, and this is the case in the other two synoptic gospels, so Matthew and Luke as well. Where the you know earlier in the in the in this in the chapter of Matthew and in Luke and as well here in Mark, you have this you have these episodes of Jesus healing a paralyzed man, um, and, and 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 then calling Matthew the tax collector to uh, to be his disciple, and then sitting with other tax collectors and sinners and eating with them, and then he's he's criticized for that, and uh, you know by the Pharisees. And and so you know the this this theme of Jesus, you know, teaching the forgiveness of sins, of forgiving a paralyzed man, uh, when he, he you know the Pharisees are questioning whether he actually has this authority, and then now here eating with sinners and tax collectors it is something that's scandalizing to the uh, to those who who don't want to embrace the gospel, who look at, you know, the law of Moses as something that you can use to be saved by following it. Um, and this gets into the whole lesson that Jesus teaches them. Um, so, so, you know, the preaching of Christ crucified is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. Um, and so now here Jesus is questioned about fasting. Um, since you know, since his lack of fasting, along with his recent flaunting of the forgiveness of sins, really make him they, these things make him look like he is kind of a liberal. You know, like he doesn't really care about the traditions, he doesn't care about religious discipline, and he doesn't care about the keeping of the law. And so, so this is where we're at now, where where we see not only the Pharisees but also the disciples of John the Baptist 
both come and question Jesus about fasting, which, you know, fasting seems to be kind of that hallmark discipline, that kind of emblem, uh, marker of, of, uh, of personal religious discipline, right? And so, like, if you fast, then, you know, that, that's one of, you know, if you, if you fast, then you're, you're, you're traditional, Right. And it would probably be similar to today. And, you know, like, you know, you, you might see someone who is, uh, you know, wearing a collar or not wearing a collar or something like that, you know? Um, and, and, uh, but anyway, we can, we can talk later more about the benefits of fasting. Um, but that is really the, this is really the background that you have, uh, that sets up this, this account. Yeah, I appreciate you reminding us that Jesus has been talking about the forgiveness of sins. And that's a a fantastic way, I think, to summarize both of the two texts that have come before this in Mark chapter 2, where he forgives the paralytic his sins before he heals them. And he talks about coming for sinners as he's eating with Matthew and the other tax collectors and the other sinners. This is all about the forgiveness of sins. And then to remind us also that that's the scandal that i mean it is it's quite something you know we we hear the forgiveness of sins and we rejoice but it's when jesus starts mm-hmm. talking about the forgiveness of sins that's where the opposition starts in mark chapter 2 the the opposition from his human opponents it it really starts to build here in chapter 2 and it's because he's preaching the forgiveness of sins which is just an amazing thing sometimes i think we forget what a scandal the gospel is until, you know, I mean, uh, they just must not like Jesus or something like that. No, they they don't like him because he's forgiving sins. And that's what's causing the scandal. Uh, dig into that a little bit more, Pastor Preuss. Yeah, and he's not only is he forgiving sin, he's forgiving the sins of the of people that are not very nice people. They're not yeah. the kind of people that you want to hang out with. They're not the kind of people that you want living next door to you. You know, he's sitting down with with people who are known um, cheats. You know, uh, among the tax collectors and uh, and other kinds of of of, of rejects. Um, you know, prostitutes. And of course, Jesus is calling these people to repentance. And yet, you know, repentance doesn't mean that now the next day you you all of a sudden look totally different and you are, you know, you, 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 you talk totally different. I mean, you're, you're still, you know, you're still the same person, although you're renewed. So you're a different person in Christ, um, through faith. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you have a new, you've been born again through the word and that's what the, the gift of baptism gives us. And yet, you know, you, you sound the same, you know, you might smell the same, you know, <laughs> you might, so that, you know, the thing is, is that religion has with it outward habits that can be of good use. And fasting is one of those outward disciplines. Uh, but, but that's not the, that's not the essence of religion. Uh, it's not the essence of what makes us pious before God. And the essence of it is, is, is rather faith in the promise of the gospel. And, you know, when we look at someone who might come into the, the church, right, and yet maybe the person is, um, is it just kind of looks sort of, you know, doesn't really kind of dresses in rags or is, is uh, or doesn't, doesn't really have the best hygiene, uh, maybe doesn't have the best mouth, 
you know, maybe uses a bad word here and there. Um, you know, the, these are things that it's not like Jesus is going around being the cussing pastor, like what you have among a lot of these kind of emergent church guys who try to be cool and, 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 and cuss so that they can attract people to their church. No, it, but, 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 but at the same time, Jesus is, Jesus is kind and he's patient and he's, he, and he, he, he bears with people, right? He forgives sins and he continues to eat with them, sit with them, teach them, right? So, you know, it's something that we want, our sinful flesh wants things to just immediately change and we want good habits to, uh, you know, to, to kind of take root. And, 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 and the ball to be rolling right away, right? And, and to see the progress immediately. Um, and, and, uh, and when we don't, we're kind of scandalized. And we see this in ourselves, you know? Yeah. Uh, we want ourselves, we, we, we get this idea that somehow making ourselves better or outwardly better and looking better is going to really be what, what makes us better before God. I mean, that's the opinion of the law, as they call it. And so, but Jesus isn't doing that. Jesus is rather teaching them repentance, a changing of the mind, and he's giving them faith in the forgiveness of sin. And he's sitting with them. He's bearing with them. And yeah, they'll, they'll learn to fast. They'll learn bodily discipline, stuff like that. Fine. They'll learn all the good habits. That stuff will come. But in the meantime, he's sitting with them and exalting them to the status as, as princes, you know, I mean, this is, and this is what's so, this is what is so scandalous about the gospel is that it, you know, we, to the naked eye, it looks like Jesus is condoning sin. It really looks like it, but of course that's not true. You know, Jesus didn't come to destroy the law. He, he, he came to call people to repentance. Um, but, but, you know, to the naked eye, repentance doesn't always look like what we want it to look like. So, um, and again, I, I, I want to just be, be clear here too, that Je- again, Jesus is not, these people, Jesus is not condoning these people in their outward sin. Right. It's, it's, so there, I think a lot of people think, get the, get the impression that, you know, Jesus sitting with sinners means that we should just accept people the way that they are and not actually you know, warn them about yeah. living in sin. No, Jesus loved them enough to do that, but then still to continue with them and bear with them. So, right. So that's kind of what we're what we're dealing with. And to the to those who are much more disciplined, like disciples of John the Baptist, who I think was very, would have been very much admired for his great discipline, um, his ascetic life in the wilderness. Um, and then for the for the Pharisees, who are kind of the old conservatives. You know, Jesus looks like he's somehow, you know, throwing out the law and all religious discipline. It's almost like a worship war kind of thing. You know, it almost looks right. like G- Jesus is like some some church growth or something like that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's see how this plays out then. And, and maybe, you know, that I, I think that that's not a bad way of, of picturing it. Although, you know, we wouldn't say that Jesus is a, a church growther in that sense, but, but I get what you're saying. So let's, let's take a look at the text and, and see what happens. Uh, Mark two, verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? but your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? 
As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, and the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. That's the text for today, Mark 2, verses 18 through 22. Pastor Price, the, the people introduced at the beginning of the text are John's disciples and the Pharisees, and it's noted that they were fasting. John's disciples and the Pharisees, at least at first glance to some modern readers of scripture, that might seem an odd pairing to us. What, what's going on here with these two groups and their fasting? Yeah, yeah, it is an odd pairing. Um, you know, we find we find what's going on here is is kind of a party spirit that's running around in the background. Uh, so you see this all over in all of the Gospels, but you 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 especially see it in John's Gospel, and John John the Evangelist brings this to light, where he you know after his beautiful prologue in in uh, chapter one of his Gospel, where he talks about you know the Word being in the beginning and and light coming into the world and, you know, the, the word becoming flesh. Uh, he then goes in to talk about how the representatives from the Pharisees came and kind of came to John the Baptist in order to scrutinize him and ask him, you know, who are you? Right. And so, you know, so we can kind of see this, see this partisanism going on uh, already there between John the Baptist and uh and and the Pharisees, and that's how they're that at least that's how they're treating John, right? And so, and this is kind of that whole team spirit that we deal with even to this day. Uh, you know, you what team are you on? Um, are are you on this team that's more conservative? Are you on this team that's more liberal? Are you on this team that's more, you know, liturgical? This team that's more, you know, low church or whatever. Uh, and and that's not to say that, I mean, these things are kind of inevitable, you know, some teams are simply bad, you know, you don't want to be on that team, <laughs> but that doesn't necessarily mean though, that the team that you're on is that somehow just being part of that team is what's going to make you, you know, uh, thinking the right way. Um, so, so, so at any rate, um, in, in this episode that's recorded here in, 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 uh, in Mark's gospel and the other, in the other synoptic gospels, we can see how team rivals will often come together and align with each other when they see a mutual threat to their cause. And, uh, and, you know, and John, John the Baptist obviously didn't see Jesus as a threat, but we do see evidence uh, elsewhere of his disciples kind of seeing Jesus as sort of a rival. Um, and we see this later on as well in Acts um, where you have, those who know the baptism of John, but they don't even know who the Holy Spirit is. So they're, they're not very good students of John, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, so, so here you have, you know, you have the, the, the disciples of John the Baptist and the, uh, the, the Pharisees kind of finding some common ground, because while they're both rivals, they can see that, you know, Jesus is more of a threat to them. Um, but interestingly, you know, Matthew and Luke both record later on how Jesus shows how he and John were both attacked. John for fasting, uh, they called him, you know, they, 
they uh, they called him. They said he had a demon because he was fasting because um, he, he fasted too much, right? right? He ate grasshoppers and stuff. Um, and then Jesus, for not fasting, they said that he was a wine bibber and a glutton and stuff like that. So, oh. so, um, so yeah. So here you have the the Pharisees and the disciples of John the Baptist kind of making this sort of unholy alliance. Against Jesus, so and and that alliance forms on the matter of fasting, and I think you said in the introduction that fasting was like a, a hallmark of the tradition. How you fasted or didn't fast that kind of puts you into a category. Why is fasting such a big deal for the disciples of John and for the Pharisees? What's the what's the use of fasting? We can and I, as I say that, I, I do want to talk about the role of fasting for Christians still today. But I want to kind of save that for as we get into Jesus' answer. Why is the fasting an issue for John's disciples and the Pharisees as they're coming to Jesus? Well, uh, I mean, it, and when I said that before about fasting being kind of a, a hallmark or emblem of, of religion, it, I'm saying that it's just kind of an obvious thing, right? I mean, the Bible does prescribe uh, certain uh, bits of fasting, uh, for example, on, I believe the Day of Atonement would have been like a, right. a solemn assembly. So when you had a solemn assembly, you would, uh, you would, you would afflict yourself, right? And, uh, you would, and you would fast. And, and so fasting is obviously part of religion. It's, uh, you know, abstaining from, abstaining from certain things. Um, even the Sabbath is, a, is, is kind of like a fasting. You're fasting from work, right? Mm. Um, and uh, and and you see throughout the wilderness, uh, the, the the journeys in the wilderness, how you know they ate manna and quail, and that was to teach them that that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So they're so they can't just eat whatever they want. Uh, there's uh, they, so so fasting has with it this this understanding that we rely on God to give us our daily bread. But see, these things can easily become sort of uh, a piety contest. You know, what's, what's harder to do? You know, well, I fasted twice a week. Well, I fasted three times a week, you know, and that's just what happens. And so they, they see it, they see this outward form and they, they, they get distracted by the outward form which may have its benefits, uh, but they, they lose sight of the, of, of the, the power of godliness. Uh, and, uh, and so that's what, you know, they're being very immature um, and, and legalistic uh, and, and, and short-sighted. The majority then of our text is Jesus' answer to this question, and he starts by bringing up, well, there's three images, and the first one he brings up is the image of a wedding feast. The text reads like this in the ESV, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in that day. That's the part of the answer of Jesus that describes it as a wedding feast. So let's just start with that image there. It's one that Jesus brings in from the Old Testament. What is the image of the wedding feast that we see in the Old Testament? And how does Jesus draw that in to give his answer here? Yeah, so Isaiah speaks uh, in a couple spots, Isaiah fifty-four and sixty-two, of God being the husband or the or the or the bridegroom of His people, 
and uh, and that there is, you know, that that the the people of Israel will be will be clothed um, with the garments of righteousness, um, um, like a like a bride, and uh, and and a, one psalm in particular that that beautifully portrays this is Psalm forty five uh, that talks about you know the the royal daughter is all glorious within the palace. Uh, I'll just quote it here. I have it in front of me. Her clothing is woven with gold. She shall be brought to the king in robes of many colors. The virgins, her companions who follow her, shall be brought to you with gladness and rejoicing. They shall be brought. They shall enter the king's palace. Um, and, and you could also, you, you can argue that um, the Song of Solomon uh, is that entire that entire book is, while it it looks like it's about, you know, one of Solomon's wives, maybe his first wife, uh, it, it is it is clearly a model or a, a shadow of the relationship between the Lord and His people. Um, so you have this imagery in the Old Testament of you know the king who is betrothed to his uh you know to to his to his bride to his wife um and that bride uh is 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 looked at also as kind of a, a thereby a royal daughter um and that's the church right and so you have this then in Ephesians 5 for example which is probably the most beautiful uh and uh most instructive uh mention of this relationship between the bride and the bridegroom uh where it says husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her before that it says Wives submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ, um, and and uh, and and you know so you have this relationship between Christ and the church, which is what you know what 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 do you think of them when you think of a wedding, right? You think of joy, mm-hmm. you think of rejoicing. It's a great time. It's not you know it's no time to sing a dirge, right? It's it's uh it's 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 no time to fast, right? It's it's no time to show off how uh, how much you can afflict yourself. No, it's it's time to time to celebrate, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's where Jesus is Jesus is getting at here is that he is the bridegroom, right? He is the Lord in the flesh, and he's there in the flesh with them. So recognize it and stop being distracted with your own outward piety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jesus calls himself so just to to make this plain then if you want to think of this as a, a mini parable of sorts jesus would be the bridegroom and the fact that he puts himself in that role i think you, you said this is a claim on his part to be the god of the old testament right i mean we shouldn't we shouldn't miss that jesus actually equates himself with the one of the old testament who said i am the bridegroom right i mean that's that's there right yeah exactly that yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right, and uh, yeah, and and this is something that G- and G- so Jesus isn't just making this up, right? This isn't just some imagery that he kind of comes up with. He never does that, by the way. Any kind type of imagery that Jesus might might be talking about, like himself being the good shepherd, for example, these are all themes that that Jesus was already talking about through his Holy Spirit. Uh, who inspired the prophets to write it down, right? Uh, the, 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 he's, he's come to fulfill the law and the prophets. And uh, he's speaking, therefore, of what the prophets have spoken of. And John the Baptist being the last prophet. You know, you have John the Baptist, in, and this is, I don't think this is a coincidence, 
that Jesus is talking to John the Baptist's disciples. Because John the Baptist, as recorded in, in John the Evangelist's Gospel, uh, the third chapter, you know, he's he's having an altercation with his disciples, where his disciples are jealous of Jesus and his disciples for baptizing more people than John. And uh, I, I have in front of me here, I'll just read what John the Baptist responded to them. Uh, he said, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. That is, the one who has the church is, you know, I don't, these people I've been preaching to, they're not mine. I don't own them. Uh, the Lord owns them, right? And so, so the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. And so Jesus kind of heart, Jesus is sort of hearkening also back to John the Baptist when he's talking to John the Baptist's disciples, you know, almost like, you know, when, when, once you have this insight from, from John the Evangelist, you know, record of it all, you, you can see how Jesus is, is sort of you know, nudging them and saying, Hey, you guys were taught this. This is what, this is what your, your teacher told you about. And, uh, and to the Pharisees, likewise, they should know this from, from the from the Old Testament, you know, they're teachers of the law. They should know this. That the bride, when the bridegroom is here, the church should rejoice and shouldn't walk around in a dirge. Well, and I, I think in in that sense, uh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna save that for the other side of the break. We're we're coming on the break. We'll we'll pick that up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, January 21st. We're studying Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. We've got Pastor Andrew Preuss with us. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa. Pastor Price, prior to the break, you were saying how the disciples of John would have heard this language of bridegroom and the wedding guests from their teacher, John. The Pharisees should have known this from the Old Testament. And where I was going to go before we got to the break was that then it seems like in the words Jesus speaks where he, where he tells this to them, he is in effect inviting them to come out of their fasting and join the feasting with his own disciples because he is here at as the bridegroom. Yeah, that's right. Like uh, our Old Testament lesson from Epiphany, uh, Isaiah 60, arise, shine, for your light has come. Right, you know, this is, uh, and this is, Luke Luke records this in chapter 15, uh, where, where they're, they're grumbling about really the same kind of stuff. Jesus has received sinners and eats with them, and Jesus tells these parables of, you know, a woman who finds who finds her lost coin and rejoices, a man who finds his lost sheep and rejoices, a father who finds his lost son and rejoices, you know. 
and he's inviting, he's doing the same thing, inviting them to rejoice. And, you know, there's, there's, there's sort of, and I want to just say, say this one thing before we move on from this, uh, that Jesus is, he's speaking kind of apocalyptically here, right? So he often speaks of his crucifixion in the same breath as he would speak of judgment, right? And obviously there's a difference between his death and the last day. And yet there is, they kind of, they go together, right? And so Jesus is saying to them, hey, look, I'm here in the flesh. You have the light with you. The day is coming when I'm going to be crucified. Um, and, uh, and I'm not going to be here anymore. So, so, so there's something that really speaks to us today as well. So like he says in John 12, you know, while predicting his, his, his uh, very near crucifixion, he says, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may come become sons of the light. And so while we have the gospel among us, right, we should rejoice in it. Um, and, 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 and yet, of course, there is a place for fasting, um, even while we rejoice. And this is kind of the irony of it all. Um, so, I mean, I don't, if, if you wanted to stop and talk about that, uh, about, you know, the, is there a role for fasting in the Christian life? Yeah, I, um, I, I, I don't I, think that Jesus is. Is, is forbidding fasting itself. Right. I, I think so. I think you're right that there is a role for fasting in the Christian life. I mean, you know, just look at the history of the church. The church obviously took that as a, as a reality that there was a place for fasting in the Christian life. Jesus even talks that way in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, when you exactly. fast. He doesn't say if you fast. He says, when you fast. And here, too, in this text, he, he says, as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But then he adds, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. So as you look at verse 20 yeah. there, Pastor Preuss, well, what is Jesus talking about? the days when the bridegroom is taken away and then how does fasting become a part of the Christian life as Jesus lays it out here? Yeah. So Jesus is specifically talking about his own death, right? Um, and when he is taken away and you know, the world will rejoice, but his disciples will mourn. Right. And yet, as he always does, he's speaking prophetically. And as you know, from the prophets, the prophets do this all the time where they'll speak of the last day, but it's sort of like a mountain range, right? I'm sure you learned that in mm -hmm. seminary, you know, you, you, you look at prophecy and fulfillment as sort of a mountain range where, you know, the, the, the prophet, the prophecy is talking about something that is a long way off. And in the distance, you see this mountain range and the mountains all look like they're right next to each other, but the mountains are actually very far away from one another. Um, so, so it's a similar kind of thing where Jesus will speak of judgment, but then he'll speak of his death, which is actually a lot closer. Um, and we are to look at them as very close to one another. They're, 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 you, can't, you can't separate them from one another. And so, yes, Jesus is specifically talking about his death um, and that his disciples will have to mourn. But he's, he's also talking about really any type of persecution that the church will have to endure. Um, and, and then finally the last judgment, right? And, and, and so, so, you know, where, so, so then what, what, what is the role of fasting here? Well, the role of fasting is to teach us that man does not live by bread alone, 
right? It's not, it's not for the sake of just not eating food. It's so that we would remember, um, and, and, and pay attention to the fact that God gives us our daily bread and to find that our true daily bread should be in our spiritual sustenance, right? In the word. And, and that actually, you know, ironically should make us rejoice, right? So, so that's the thing. That's why Jesus in, 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 in Matthew chapter six says, he says, when you fast, you shouldn't go around, you know, looking all gloom and stuff, right? Uh, with your with your face down, but no, you should anoint your head with with oil, and you should walk around. Well, why? Because you're rejoicing. Because you have you are a child of your father who knows what you need before you even ask for it. And so, even when you do fast, you are to rejoice, right? Mm-hmm. So even and especially when you must bear afflictions, you will still rejoice, right? Uh, you know, sometimes fasting is something that we do purposefully, right? Where we might just deprive ourselves of something uh, for a while so that we can concentrate on learning the Word of God, just self-discipline. Other times fasting is kind of involuntary, where you have to deal with something that is maybe maybe uh, people are really mad at you for confessing the truth and it makes you kind of sick to your stomach and you don't really have much of an appetite anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that happens to uh, that happens to Christians all the time. Um, you know, the, there's that spiritual turmoil. Maybe you're struggling against the temptation. Uh, there's some kind of uh, spiritual testing that you're going through, and and like I said, you don't have much of an appetite. Well, there's fasting that has come upon you, and and uh, and 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 you fast at the in, in those moments. But our Lord still teaches us that we should rejoice even in those moments. Um, because we still have, because we have the light of Christ. But there's also, there is also with this a warning. There's a warning because, you know, and, and, and an admonition to take advantage of it now, right? Don't wait. Don't wait. Like if you, if you, if, if, if you haven't been to church in a while, don't wait. Go, go receive the pure word of God and, and, and the sacrament. Go and meet with your fellow Christians and enjoy the fellowship of the saints. Don't, pass this off, you know, and, and act as though it's going to be here tomorrow because it might not be, it might be taken away. You know, I think the, this whole, the, all the lockdowns and stuff that have happened in the last several months have taught us that, you know, you don't, you never know when this is going to actually be a lot harder to get to, to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, so rejoice in the light, you know, when you have the pure word, um, there are, there are Christians around the world who, who long to hear the pure word of God and they don't have, they don't have people to teach them, right? And they, they want to learn more, and they just, they don't, and they're hungry for it, um, and they rejoice at every little bit of God's Word that they get. And, and so that's, that's really what fasting should teach us in the first place. Fasting should teach us that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, and it should thereby teach us to rejoice in the Word of God, especially when He's actually with us in the flesh, which by the way, he still is with us in the flesh and his body and blood in the Lord's Supper, right? So, I mean, let's rejoice, even even if we do have to fast once in a while. Mm. Yeah, as you, as you were talking there, a couple of things were coming to mind. I mean, you, you brought up the Lord's Supper, and as you were talking about the connection between fasting and joy and how for Christians those go together, even though that seems paradoxical, I, I was reminded of the in divine service setting one in Lutheran service book in the prayer of Thanksgiving, there's a, 
there's part of the prayer that goes like this. It says, with repentant joy, we receive the salvation accomplished for us by the all-availing sacrifice of his body and blood on the cross. That phrase, repentant joy, has always stood out to me as something that doesn't seem like that would necessarily go together. And yet, for the Christian, it does, that we would be we would have repentant joy. And I think the connection of fasting and, and joy that you've made goes with that. The other thing that came to my mind was the season of Lent. And I suppose the season of Advent, too, which we just came out of it as a, a preparatory penitential season, how, how in those seasons there is this theme of fasting that comes up. Sometimes very physically, as you've you've noted, in, in abstaining from certain foods. But even in the way that we worship, our, our worship is... I don't know how to say this toned down a little bit, or you, you, you exclude some of those more joyous aspects. And yet, even when you're not singing the Gloria in excelsis, or, or even when you're not saying the word, Alleluia, you can't help, but have that joy on a Sunday morning, because that's the day of the Lord's resurrection. And I mean, I I think in those seasons of the church here, particularly the, the theme of fasting and joy really come together for us. And the, the disciplines that, that the church has for those seasons can be a helpful way of putting some of this stuff into practice, I think. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's right. And that, and that's really the whole, I mean, the whole point of any type of piety is outward practice or discipline. And I include the liturgy in there, um, is to teach, to teach us about God's word. So sometimes teaching, uh, becomes heavier in one aspect. Um, and, uh, sometimes it requires us to buckle down more. Um, and sometimes it's more leisurely, right. You know, and, and, uh, sometimes it's more, it's more joyful, right. But that's all about, that's all part of learning. So, you know, if you're looking at your outward piety, um, and your discipline or your method of, you know, whatever, as like a thing in itself, as an end in itself, and you're told, then you're totally missing the point. Uh, that it's all about learning and growing in the Word of God. From the image of the wedding, which Jesus has in verses 19 and 20, he moves into two more images. In verse 21, he talks about sewing a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment and what happens as a, a worse tear is made. And then in verse 22, he talks about new wine and old wine skins and new wine and fresh wine skins. I, I think these two pictures are meant to go together. Help us into the images themselves, Pastor Price, and then how Jesus makes use of them. What's he saying? Yeah. So the old and the new is, you know, we can't help but think of the old covenant and the new covenant. And the old covenant is, is simply put the law. Um, it's, it's not talking about the entirety of the Old Testament itself, because there's certainly the, the, the books of Moses and the prophets, you know, they, they, sometimes that's referred to as the law, but in it's kind of its broad sense, right? Uh, in, 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 which is really just another way of saying the teaching, which includes both the law, that is the commandments, uh, as well as the promises, that is the gospel. Um, but strictly speaking, when we talk about the Old Covenant, we're simply talking about the law, the do's and the don'ts, right? Um, the love that God requires of us as it is summarized in the Ten Commandments. And the, the purpose of the law is uh, not only to teach us discipline, outward discipline, um, but m- mostly to, to, to drive us to repentance, that we would see our need for the gospel, for the forgiveness of sin. 
And if we, you know, if, if we rely on the law and think that we're going to find our righteousness from our good habits, then we're going to totally miss the point. And the gospel is actually going to be offensive to us. It's going to be a scandal to us. So Jesus uses very graphic language here of, you know, uh, sewing uh, a, a new piece of cloth onto an old piece of cloth, but the new piece of cloth hasn't shrunk yet, right? So, uh, so then it would tear. It's going it, it, and 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 they're not going to go together. They're going to tear. And then if you if you put new wine into old wineskins, then the old wineskins are going to burst, right? And then Luke adds another one where Jesus says, uh, uh, where Jesus says, you know, no one after tasting the old wine, no one wants new wine, right? Which is kind of, you know, it's sort of just how our taste buds are, you know? I mean, to use a, an expression of, you know, it's like if you smoke a really good cigar, usually you're not going to want to smoke a cigarette after that. I mean, some guys do because they're just total fiends. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, it just, it just has to do with, you know, you got that old mellow uh, wine, you're not going to want to go have some new sweet wine after that. You know, that's just, he, I, I think Jesus is, is, is just, um, he's showing just the reality of it, that you guys, you guys like this old stuff. You like the old, the old ways. Um, and, uh, and you like the law and that's good. You should like the law, but if you're relying on this stuff and if you think that your life is in the law is in your habits, uh, then you're going to, bursts open, right? You're gonna, you're gonna tear, you're gonna, you're, you're, you're gonna spit out whatever, whatever I give you. Um, but what I'm giving you is the true, is the fulfillment of the law. What I'm giving to you is the new covenant, the new Testament in my blood, uh, the forgiveness of sins. And this is going to be a total scandal to you, uh, unless you recognize that the highest and most exalted works among men are an abomination in the sight of God, and that your works and your attempts to fulfill the law and your own kind of personal piety are all for naught, unless you have this fulfillment, right? Uh, and so, so the new, the the new wine, the new, the new uh, patch, um, you know, these are these these are representing. The, the bridegroom who has come, who makes all things new. And if you're just sitting there, you know, it kind of reminds me of someone who just wants to be a bachelor his whole life. And all of a sudden, you know, it would be like someone who has just totally gotten used to being a bachelor. And he's like, Oh, this is cool. Then all of a sudden he wakes up and he's getting married and he's like, what? No, I don't want to be married. Right. <laughs> so there's almost, I mean, there's, there's sort of, you, you, you need to be born again, right? You need to be, you need to die to these things and to be born anew to the, to the true worship. Um, and that's not to say that, it, that everyone who was following the Old Testament and learning from the Old Testament was this way. Well, of course not, because the Old Testament has the promises. Mm-hmm. But if you're not looking forward to the redemption of Israel, to the consolation, to the, to the fulfillment of God's promises, <clears throat> and you're thinking that you're going to, that you're going to, that, that, that everything is going to be accomplished by you just, you know, st- sticking to your old habits. Well, then you're gonna you're gonna be you're gonna be very offended. You're gonna fall away when when these when when these promises and these commandments are actually fulfilled uh, for all to see. And that's exactly what happened. And so 
Paul says, you know, we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to uh, to the Jews and foolishness to the to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. So, if I, if I can try to apply that then to this thought of fasting for John's disciples and the Pharisees as they're trying to use fasting in the old way, according to the law. And if they're going to come to Jesus with that, then it's going to be the old wineskin that bursts. It's going to be the old cloth that rips because you're trying to take something from the old way from the law and use it with the gospel or something like that. Whereas what Jesus, he's not, as you said, he's not throwing out the law. He's not throwing out fasting, but he's putting fasting in the context of the gospel. What does it look for? What does it look like for the Christian, the one who is saved, not by what he does, but only through faith in Christ what does it look like for him to fast? That's the idea of putting the new wine into new wineskin. Is that, I mean, am I, am I tracking here? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that that's great. You know, it, it, it's sort of like what John says in his first epistle that where he talks about how this is no new commandment, um, but it's new. I'm kind of paraphrasing what he says, but it's new just because the, the darkness has gone away and the light has come. Right. So, you know, that there's nothing new about like when Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. I mean, this is something that God has always taught his people, but Jesus has fulfilled it. The light has fully come. Right. So, so, so he is, he's, he's not, he's not throwing out the law. He's not throwing out good discipline. Right. Paul says the outward bodily discipline is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way having benefit in this life and the life to come. And so, so absolutely, you, you now look at discipline, bodily discipline, including fasting and other types of, uh, of, edu- you know, of, 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 you know, actions that you would do or practices that you would do in order to bring about, you know, uh, a better understanding of God's word. If you look at these things in light of the gospel that means that you look at them as, as things that are free and they're not coerced. And you're not going to notice when other people aren't doing that, right? Unless you're, in, 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 unless you're just helping people out, right? You know, it's a, that if someone is saying, yeah, I want to be able to learn the Bible better. It's like, well, here, you know, this is something I do. You know, maybe this is uh, try to go to bed at this time, you know, get up at this time. And Christians are free to talk about this kind of stuff. You know, it's not, I think that we live in a time now where we've gotten so far away from this, where we, we somehow think that we can't talk about our, our various Christian disciplines. Um, but no, we're free to do that. We're free to even talk about what we might do as far as fasting goes, if, 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 if we do, or what, what, you know, to what extent that, 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 that means for us, you know, maybe for some, it's just, not eating breakfast, one, you know, until you take the Lord's Supper, you know, like that might be, you know, something like, you know, and, and just talk about the benefits um, and and uh, and kind of share, share with one another why those things are beneficial. But but if it ever becomes a sort of um, peeing contest, as you know, to, not to be crass, but that's uh, 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 but, you know, that if it becomes that kind of like upmanship then it's just back in the old wineskins. Then it is, you know, the, it, it's relying on the law rather than using the law salutarily to serve the gospel, right? Um, and to be free in Christ. 
So, I mean, that's the thing is it's sort of like if someone, you know, you think of someone who's, who's in pain and he wants to be able to get out of pain. And then someone says, Hey, I've, I've been there. Here's some exercises that you can do that'll help you get out of pain. Right. And it's like, Oh, great. great. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Well, then you're out of pain and you're not in pain. And then someone's like, Hey, why aren't you doing those exercises? Like, well, cause I'm not in pain, you know? So Jesus is just teaching. I think he's kind of exposing how silly they're being, you know, they're fasting for the sake of fasting. That's really stupid. Why would you do that? But um, you're just going to burst open the, 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 uh, uh, the wineskins when you do that. So, so Jesus is actually giving more, uh, a better salutary direction for fasting. Right. I mean, I, I've heard this, I've heard this text used as a, a justification for Christians today, for the church to constantly be doing something new, something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, every, every Sunday I'm going to maybe say, instead of saying the apostles creed or the Nicene creed, I'm going to write my own creed every week. Or instead of following, you know, one of the liturgies from the Lutheran service book or TLH, I'm, I'm going to write my own each week. And, and this text as a justification for it, it based on what you're saying, I, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. No. And that would be, that would be very, it's, what's ironic about that is that those things turn out to be old habits, mm. right? So this is what's funny. when Whenever anyone talks about contemporary or traditional worship, I say, well, everything's contemporary. I'm doing it right now, you know? I don't know if I've ever gone back in time and worshiped, you know? Um, and, uh, and everything's traditional. Like, yeah. even if you make something new, it's going to become yesterday's news, Right. Um, so, so that's just, so to think that Jesus somehow is prescribing some kind of methodology on how to, on how to worship, um, is, uh, is to still see it in light of the law and see it as something that you have to do and that you are going to somehow bring about. But if you see it as, no, this is, Jesus is talking about himself fulfilling the law and bringing about this new life. Um, then you can go back to the, you can read the Psalms and be like, wait a second, there's Jesus, right? <laughs> you know, you can read these old stories in the Old Testament and say, oh, wow, there's Jesus. This is, it's new to me now, right? And, and so the, 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 the mercies of God are new every morning and you get new insight. And that doesn't stop. It's really amazing. The gospel allows you to read the Old Testament, read the whole Bible, and you're constantly being renewed and there's new insight that the Holy Spirit gives to you through his word. Um, and, and that God's grace remains new for you every day. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And if you, and, and if you're going to hold on to your old habits, whether those habits are more quote unquote traditional or more contemporary, you're going to burst, you know, if you're going to, if you rely on your old habits instead Sure, you might have some useful habits that you do for the sake of discipline. That's good. But rely on the gospel. Rely on the new wine of, 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 of Christ who gives us his, his body and his blood. Yeah, and it's in that gospel where the joy is actually found, which I, I think really helps tie these all these images together, the wedding feast, the garment, this wine and wineskins, that it, it's going to be in that gospel. That's where the joy actually is. And when that's your focus, then the habits, the discipline that you have actually 
lead to increasing the joy rather than destroying it altogether. We got about two and a half minutes here, Pastor Preuss, to summarize, wrap things up, point us to Jesus. Yeah, well, one other thing that kind of was brought to mind here is uh, when Jesus talks to the the church in Ephesus and his his uh, his, his epistles to the churches and in, in the Book of Revelation, and he says to Ephesus, you know, he commends them for doing everything right, you know, and they have all the the the, the old doctrine all down, right? But then he says that you have lost your first love, right? And and a lot of times people look at that as just well, well, they just don't love people enough. And that certainly is part of it. That's going to be included in it. But I, I think that, that um, you know, it's not just that. It's that they have forgotten why they are doing what they're doing. Um, you know, faithfulness has become routine for them. And so while their love for the truth along, uh, along with their joy in the gospel, uh, you know, all the while their love for the truth along with their joy in the gospel has just waned. And that's the thing is that, you know, this Jesus is not giving us new precepts, you know, to, to go and like, uh, make sure that you love enough. He's giving us a reason to rejoice. He's giving us the new wine. Right. And, 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 and so this is something I'd like to remind my, my, my brothers in the ministry um, and not just my blood brothers, but you know, guys like you and, 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 and other Christians. Um, but when I talk to guys who are in the seminary or who in the ministry, I have, go back to why you wanted to be a pastor in the first place. Right? What is it that made you want to study theology? Because it's the gospel. It's the forgiveness of sins. It makes you rejoice. It gives you comfort. Don't forget that. That's what's always new. Pastor Andrew Preuss is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa, helping us this morning with Mark 2, verses 18 through 22. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. The joy is in the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ has died and risen for you through faith in him, not by what you do, not by your, by your habits, by your disciplines, but by him and him alone, you have salvation, and that is our joy. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.